0: Holy Spirit, Thou art welcome in this place. Omnipotent Father of mercy and grace, Thou art welcome in this place. We humbly ask that You bless Your Word. Let we also become doers of your word in due course. Thanks for golden moments like these in your presence. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Let's turn our Bibles please to a very interesting portion of scripture tonight. Acts 17, and let's read from verse 19. Acts 17, verse 19. A very interesting angle of approach to my subject for tonight, but may God bless us together around his word. Acts 17 verse 19, and they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine, whereof thou speakest, is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears, we would know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. Can I just say in brackets, he could have said that to some Christians as well. It is so disappointing to know that some of our Christians are also superstitious. Friday the 13th springs to mind. May God grant that we get away from these things. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you. The theme of my message for this Bible study tonight is appreciate God. Appreciate the God of true Christianity in view of what we have just read in this portion of Scripture. Appreciate God. What does a Hindu goddess and a set of number plates have in common? I don't know, but I'll tell you a story. One of our neighbors across the road had this Hindu goddess statue in their garden. And I don't think it calls for much by way of imagination to think that this goddess, although I know very little about that religion, must have something to do, catch my drift, with fertility and the cycle of life and all these wonderful things. So you can picture what she looks like. And it was fairly offensive to us because it was actually put in the garden right in front of all of us around. And I observed this uh, statue. You know, sometimes the poor thing is overly exposed to the sun. And then after a week, they decide, no, no, let's move our goddess and put her under the tree in the shade. And a day later, the birds decide... This is a much better perch than the branch. And she gets to become the perch of all the bird families in the vicinity. And one day I came around the corner and here was this poor thing again. And somebody had a garden sprinkler on. And every time it completes a revolution, then all the water is in this poor thing's face. And she couldn't even blink. (laughs) Exposed helpless, immobile, and then wonderfully, an evening about a month ago or so, uh, some of these uh, juvenile delinquents came around, and in my driveway, they relieved me of my car's number plates. And I was cross at first, but the next morning, I realized they also took the Indian goddess. (laughs) So what do they have in common? Both can disappear. Both can disappear. That made me think, you know, that made me think to do a comparative study, albeit a very limited one, of the major world religions of our day. And I looked at Hinduism about 1,500 years before Christ, it surfaced let's say in the time of Moses. Then I looked at Shintoism, Japan. Shintoism arose more or less a thousand years before Christ in the time of King David. I looked at Confucianism in China which started probably 500 before Christ, let's say in the time of a prophet like Micah. And then obviously Christianity arrived 500 years later. May I say true Christianity. And then Islam, 500 years later, about 500 A.D., But I didn't just do a comparative study of the religions in total. What I had in mind was to get a grasp of their God view. What are their perceptions about their God or gods? And I think it's a valid question because Jesus Christ himself one day asked his disciples, and he was god man what do the people say who am i it was even important for him to know the perception that people hold of him as a god man so i i only looked at the god view of these different religions where is the origin of that particular religion who are the gods Where do they live? Where is their abode? Are these gods that reveal themselves? Are these gods responsive to the needs of their worshippers? Are these gods self-sacrificial? A number of other questions, you know, that just arose in my mind. But I'll, 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 for the moment, we can leave it at that. I found that Hinduism, Hinduism, just had, they just worship anything. Anything that moves and breathes, and if my tongue doesn't die now, photosynthesizes. as a god in their view. I saw the Dalai Lama the other day, you know, doing this and I thought no maybe the praying mantis follow my eyes the praying mantis is just a messenger of their of 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 their faith but it seems to me not the praying mantis is one of their gods so he was imitating his god when he walks like that at the last count they had something like 300 million plus gods So much for the chance of having a personal relationship with your God. Japan, Shintoism. All men are born gods. According to Shintoism, Japan is the holy land of the creation. And every Japanese that gets born is born a God. He doesn't need a god. There's no need for a god in their system. It's complete elitism. Shintoism. Confusionism. Ancestor worship. And in that respect, they share the African religion traditions. Dark spirits. And then Islam. I don't think I need to elaborate. You people know more about Islam probably than I do. But my reading from it, yes, their God is Allah. They say they trace their history back to Abraham. And they say, they claim that it's the same God of Judaism. But you know what? The view of that God is one that is completely distant completely intolerant, completely male chauvinistic. Isn't that so? That's the God view of that particular religion. Now, what are my general conclusions? I'm not going to take you through all of this. My general conclusions, if I look at all of these, and my study uh, ended with Confucianism in actual fact, is I am thoroughly confused like the student who came into the lecture hall at university at ragtime when they can dress informally. And he had this huge K on his T-shirt. So the professor said to him, hey, what is that K? He says, no, professor, I'm confused. He says, no, no, no. Confused isn't spelled with a K, it's spelled with a C. He says, that proves how confused I am. So this is how I felt after all this. But my general conclusion is, all these gods are figments of imagination. All of them are impotent. All of them are shrouded in myth, and like Paul says here, in superstition. Myth and superstition. You know what? I appreciate God. I appreciate the God of true Christianity. And I think Paul, when he actually interacted with his people, and he also saw he was dealing with the gods of the Greeks there, and they've got many more, it seems, I think that he just couldn't suppress the praise that sprang up in his innermost being to appreciate God. And he wrote Romans eleven thirty three to 36, which says, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been His counselor? For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory, Forever and ever. Amen. It causes you to to burst out in a doxology. A session of praise and worship of your own. If we can appreciate our God. And that's all I want you to do tonight. Get a fresh appreciation of the God of true Christianity. Right. You know what? Christianity is a relative newcomer on the religious terrain. But it changed the landscape of religion irretrievably. It introduced new vocabulary into the way we think about God. All right? And it brought an intimacy that's absent in all other religions. Right. Christianity. True Christianity, brought us a real God. A powerful God. And a personal God. One that's ready to be intimate with His worshipers. One that longs for fellowship with His followers. In fact, He, he, he longs for union in spirit with them. It's a reality that only the true Christian religion can bring to us. No wonder, Acts 17, 28, at some stage, Paul says, In him we live and move and have our being. That is what this means to him and what it should mean to us as well. The songwriter says, Summarizing most of this, down from his glory, ever-living story. My God and Savior came, Jesus was his name. But the second verse is even better for me. He says, what condescension, bringing us redemption, that in the dread of night, not one faint hope in sight, God gracious tender, laid aside his splendor, stooping, this is a God that can stoop, stooping to woo, to win, Andrew, to save my soul. That is the God that I want you tonight again to reappreciate. I'm watching the clock. True Christianity brought us some further unique dimensions of understanding of who God is. And I'm just going to, and this is the apex of what I want to tell you tonight, and I'm also ending with that, right? Listen carefully. Uniqueness of the religion of Christianity, it introduced the reality Of the term father. No other religion. Has got a father. It's too intimate. It's too personal. It's too powerful. The reality in the first place. Of my father. Jesus says in John 15. Verse 1. I am the true vine. And my father is the husbandman, the wine dresser. My father is the husbandman. He claims him as his father. If you read John 16 and 17 carefully, uh, part of the upper room discourse, probably some of the best pieces in the Bible as far as I'm concerned The whole discourse is about the union between Jesus Christ and his Father. The intimacy of Jesus with his Father. It is so wonderful. It's marvelous. Uh, I I would encourage you to make a study of that. In the second place, not only uh, did it give us a real Father, it also gave us a real family. A real family. What does John 1, 12 say? As many as received Him, as many as believed Him, He gave the power to be children, to be called children of God. What a privilege. What a privilege to be a child of this wonderful, wonderful God. And then one day, on the shores of Galilee, he looked into heaven, far beyond the blue, I believe. And he said, this is how you can all now pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy Now, no longer only his father, but our father, which art in heaven. We have become, according to Ephesians 2 19, the household of God. This is a God who always longed to have a house and household. Galatians 6 10 says, We are now the household of faith, a father. With a household. No other religion shares that with us. Guard that with jealousy and defend that. It is a wonderful source of blessing for us. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joined as with Jesus as we travel this road. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And I see part of God's family displayed here tonight. I'm so glad to be part of this part of the family of God. Hallelujah. Is is that worth an amen? (laughs) And that's why Ephesians 3.21 also says... Unto him be glory in the church, both now and evermore and evermore. Hallelujah. That's wonderful. I'm almost there. I'm part of the family of God. Praise God for the church as his family as well. The third one, it gave us a real father's house, a real father's house. I had to do one-year military, no, 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 sorry, yeah, one-year military training in South Africa back in the tender years of 1970 after school. And you know what? Because prior to that, I'd never gone out of my parents' home for a long time, no extended time. And it was so wonderful, you know, after the first three months or so, you are sort of like, what what do you call it? You're locked in. You You don't get passes, you know? I was still a private then, later an officer, but then a private. And you know, the first weekend pass I got, and I went into my parents' house, I just gained a new appreciation. When I smelled my mom's bedding that she prepared for me, a house has got a smell. A house has got an atmosphere. A father's house. You feel so safe, so protected, so welcome, so warm, so close. The father's house. Oh, think of the house far from here. <laughs> Jesus said in John 14, verse 2, In my father's house. Are many mansions. We actually inherit an eternal Father's house. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? And I go and prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place, I come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, you may be also. In the Father's house, In the warmth of his presence, you can actually wade and bathe in his presence forever and ever and ever. No disappointment in heaven. No disappointment in heaven. I close with a story. I close with a story. A beautiful story, a modern day story. I knew a retired pastor and I have huge respect for all of them. Pastor Payne in South Africa. Now his surname was Payne, but he couldn't speak two words of English. So where the Payne comes from, I don't know. P-A-Y-N-E, Pastor Payne. But a man of God through and through. And I remember, my brother told me this, my elder brother, brother. He said one day somebody said to, Pastor Payne's wife passed, but he stayed on in his little home. Uh, and he was used to sort of prune his uh, uh, fruit trees and prune his rose beds and so forth in the back of the house every day. But the wonderful man of God. So, so somebody asked my brother, and says, listen, we know that you pass, pass the Payne's place regularly. Please just make this small delivery to him. And he says, yeah, sure, with love. He tells me this. He said he drove past there. It's a few blocks from us. So he drove past there. And then he got into the driveway. And he meant to go to the backyard. Probably, this is now lunchtime. Probably finding the old man pruning something right in the back of the garden. He says, but the moment he got out of his car. He said he can't describe it. There was a feeling like Moses must have experienced. You now set your feet on on holy ground. He said he actually got goose pimples all over him. Because when he, when he went past the corner of the house, non-suspecting, he heard a voice in the house. And it was a man speaking to his God. He says he doesn't think that many times in one's life you'll hear a man in the presence of his God just one to one encounter face to face with God with an open heaven above him. He said he just cowered back in his car. He says, You don't disturb a man like that. That man at that moment was appreciating his God. He cowered back into his car, did some other things that he had to do, and then he reapproached the house and he was hospitably received at the front door. And as if nothing happened. He says it'll always stay with him that he heard a man that was really in the presence of God. And, and you could hear he's used to be in the presence of God. Isn't that wonderful? That is what I want to leave with you tonight. Appreciate God. Because I think I think old Pastor Pain leapt out in closing with 1 Timothy 1, verse 17. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. May God bless you.